You're listening to Episode 4 of The Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. Today's episode is not brought to you by Facebook. Facebook, where criticizing Hillary will get you banned, while inciting a riot will make you go viral. On today's episode, The Strategy of Tension, A Cascade of Chaos and What It All Means, A Detour Down the Rabbit Hole, and What to Look Out For. Here's Monica Perez. This is The Propaganda Report, Episode 4. The Propaganda Report, where we tell you what the news really means, because the world doesn't make the news, the news makes the world. I'm Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. So we've had one crazy week, huh, Brad? We have. It's been uh, it's been pretty exciting. I was already with the show. What I wanted to the overarching theme of the show, like on Tuesday after the Chelsea bombing. So these are some of the things that happened. I've forgotten about that. There's been so yes. much happened. So since. that's the funny thing is that. At the beginning of the week, after the guy who blew up bombs in Chelsea, the Chelsea neighborhood in Manhattan, they keep emphasizing the Chelsea neighborhood for some reason. We can talk about that later. Uh, He he they found him in a doorway. There was a shootout, blah, blah, blah. So that's like the terrorist act of the week. So yeah, yeah. With a hood on and a beard. But some passerby was like, that's the bomber asleep in the doorway. Anyway, so. I was ready with the theme for the week was the strategy of tension. And the strategy of tension is a term that was coined around what's also known as Gladio A, or just Operation Gladio, where there was a an operation in Italy. Some say it was right after World War II. Uh, some say it was in the 60s. I think it probably spanned that entire period where... The apparently it was a NATO operation where they actually committed acts of terrorism, true false flag terrorism, where people died and then they framed the communists because communists and anarchists were winning elections. I don't know how anarchists can even run in elections, <laughs> but but in Italy, anarchism was or communism was really looked like it was winning winning politically and uh more like fascism is what the capitalists wanted. Now, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I hate using the word capitalist as if that's a bad word. It's not a bad word. Fascist is a bad word. Corporatist, government, corporate, you know, cronyism, whatever. So in Italy, they were trying to bat that back by actually killing people and terrorizing people. And it was called the strategy of tension. And this is going to come up later. So I'm going to read to you uh, some like scholarly academic article I was reading, but this is going to come up later. Uh, the so-called strategy of tension was a campaign designed to lead to a breakdown of law and order and consequent collapse of public confidence in democratically elected government, precipitating a takeover by the army. So for me, I that's a gateway to martial law. So I'm looking at this saying, uh, I saw that the... the the terrorist act earlier in the week as being part of strategy attention. But then, as you said to me, Charlotte is on fire. Like the whole, there was a cop shot a black guy in Tulsa, a cop shot a black guy in Charlotte. And 
all hell broke loose in Charlotte. And that to me is playing right into the strategy of tension. And I want to kind of, uh, I to use a popular expression, unpack all that with some of the news of the week to show you what I mean by the strategy of tension and how they're using these crises, what, what the agenda is, because it's not just coming out of nowhere. There's an agenda to be served. Right. Uh, to, to your point, I actually read, uh, I read about a study that was done in the 70s. It's called a cultivation study, which studies the effects of television on the population over long periods of time. And in this, in this book that quotes this study, it says, Watching violence on television seems to have caused many Americans to be fearful, insecure, and dependent on authority, according to the cultivation study. What, uh, one of the correlates of television viewing is a heightened and unequal sense of danger and risk in, uh, in a mean and selfish world. This will lead people to demand protection and even welcome repression in the name of security. An increase in the public belief that crime and violence are the foremost problem. Yes, that's exactly where they're going with this Black Lives Matters thing. And I've said this before uh, <clears throat> maybe on our terrestrial show, <laughs> the Monica Press show. I don't know if I've said it here that there was this big backlash coming out. I read a book called Rise of the Warrior Cop. I think it was just a couple of years ago. Have it over there. Uh, And everybody was getting annoyed by the militarization of the police, the SWAT teams, people. There was all the surplus military equipment from the wars in the Middle East, and they were coming to our police forces, and the police were having no-knock raids where they came in covered in riot gear. It's the middle of the night. People are sleeping. They, you know, call a tip about a pot dealer, and people were dying, innocent people. There would be wrong numbers, wrong addresses. People were dying. So I, I've been credited. I really just read that book and talked about it on the air. It wasn't me, but people are like, oh, you were way ahead of that. Because I noticed right away that it was a problem. I don't like that stuff. I uh, believe in self-defense, and I think that kind of overreach is is in, introduces violence into non-violence violent situations, especially the drug war. That that the violence in the drug war is imposed from the laws and the authorities. Otherwise, it would just be arm's length transactions that doped people up. But right after that, there was the Trayvon Martin. Uh, George Zimmerman thing where Eric Holder actually was kind of caught trying to get community action going. And that to me was the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. And now they've taken the whole uh, problem with police getting increased authority, increased militarization and divided us up as people. And then uh, what it does is it, it makes it look like the cops have a reason to be more authoritarian. So people in what Hillary would call the alt-right get validated by thinking, look, uh, the reason there's a racial bias in the enforcement of the laws is look at how these people act. And we're going to show some videos, uh, which to me don't even don't at all seem genuine. They're highly provocative, not at all sympathetic, supposedly the things that sparked the Charlotte riots. And uh, it feeds right into this meme that, 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 that the cops have to go further. That gets the right to want a more authoritarian police. And at the same time, it gets the left, the black lives matter movement 
I, I can, and I have done this before, read just quote after quote of black leaders saying what we need to do is federalize the police. So they're both on both sides. It looks like there's tension, but all they really want is for someone to save them. When there's conflict, that that was also in the report from Iron Mountain. You absolutely have to have conflict on the social level or there will be no buy-in for the authority. Right. And that's exactly what Edward Bernays who was a member of the, the the propaganda, all the propaganda agencies in the country for like 100 years during the 20th century. And uh, that he talks about tension. There must be tension for propaganda to exist. And what, what these events are is he referred to them as propaganda of the deed, where you provoke protest, and by showing these protests publicly and distributing distributing them through all the media, it, tri- it inspires people who identify with those individuals. So Police officers on one hand, uh, people in black communities on the other, and it inspires them to see the other as an enemy. So, and that's what's going on here from an individual perspective is is both sides because of the examples they're seeing. They're seeing real life examples happening, are feeling justified. They're feeling they're feeling like they're genuinely their lives are in danger. So, two like a police officer and a young black man in a in a poor community, they they know they're going to see each other on a regular basis, and they both genuinely believe that the other is out to kill them because they've seen all this evidence presented in the media outside of context without showing all the evidence of people getting along and working together. So that puts them in this heightened state of, uh, of anxiety, of tension, and everything they see the other one do is going to be interpreted through their survival instincts as, as a threat to their life, which is going to cause them to, to run or freeze, and it's going to cause them to, to try to you know, take them out before uh, they take that, before take shoot first, ask questions later. That kind of yes. mentality, basically. Well, and so that yeah. causes that causes real events to happen. It causes uh, self fulfilling prophecies. Yes, but let me back up a second and talk. When you're saying Bernays said the strategy of tension, uh, no, he didn't say strategy of tension, but that tension was required for the propaganda to happen, and and events can precipitate that. I will say his philosophy is there's another. You can peel the onion a layer more and validate what you're saying about his philosophy being in action, which is this, what what I coined a couple of shows ago as the art of ambiguity. In every single situation, you have the, I mean, every single situation. We can play every single video. There's one, the very last video I saw just before we started talking was on CNN. It was the Charlotte riot. The guy who got caught, uh, shot was uh, Keith Keith Scott and his his wife apparently was there videotaping it and it was a very bizarre video I hope we get to see it but the anchor woman said I we promise this is super disturbing whatever blah blah but what she said was now this video doesn't show him actually getting shot it just shows him before and after and then there was another shooting in Tulsa this week where it says uh, this is right out of the journal. Just after this is the videos they released about the man in Tulsa being shot. Just after the view of the man is blocked in both police videos, the helicopter and the car, both police videos, shots ring out and he falls to the ground. Just after the shot is every single video uh, is ambiguous, except except for when Walter Scott was shot down in the park. Because there, it was Freddie Gray and Walter Scott back to back, 
were the two events of that time. And Walter Scott, there was a clear cut video. As soon as that video was released, which was immediately, the cop was arrested immediately. There were no riots, no protests, nothing, even though it was a much more egregious event than yeah. Freddie Gray, which was totally ambiguous. But yeah. Freddie Gray did not have the police cameras or anything. And there were all sorts of riots in Baltimore, exact same parallel happening here. And it reminded me last week when we talked about the Ohio boy with the BB gun getting shot, what I didn't read was the mayor said, this is a quote from the journal. The mayor said that the, the shooting of the boy with the BB gun shows the need for officers wearing body cameras. So now they plan to reinstitute that program. So you can see that, they have an agenda that the propaganda is fostering. They are having these events, real or fake, I don't know. But they, but every single time, it's cloaked in ambiguity. Just you can't tell what's happening. Well, what we can watch the videos. You can't tell yeah. what's happening, and that's what creates all this conflict. You absolutely, positively must project onto that right. ambiguous. Same thing with Trump. You project whatever, whichever side you're on. You can project onto Trump that he's your hero or he's your villain. You can, with these ambiguous videos, it's the exact same thing. It just reinforces this division, the divisiveness, and that's when you get this call for authority on from both sides. Right, exactly. And and that plays to like the way that our, our, our brains work is – our brains don't like holding, um, you know, am- ambiguity in-, in mind for very long because oh, it's exhausting. You have to resolve I, it and keep going. Yeah. So, so yeah. you have. I mean, they even say this. And Ed Brene says this, or actually Walter Lippmann said this, and Brene has quoted him: "Is we have to take sides. We absolutely have to, and it's because it it gives us a sense of having control over the world. If if we don't know what's going on, if it's chaos all the time, we're crippled. We can't do anything." So we have to make a, a decision one way, or the, one way or the other, and that's why it's easy to marshal people against each other on uh, one side or the other because they're going to – like you said, they're going, to, they're going to read into whatever happened as though it fits the narrative going on in their mind, and it's, that's what they're going to accept. It's very difficult, I think. First of all, I think part of the way they control our minds like that is to keep us super duper busy, which is what I think the progressive tax rate is all about. The more money you make, they don't want you to accumulate capital and go all Ron Paul, start thinking and being active. They need you to be completely busy. But it occurred to me one time I was studying for the CFA exam, which is like a three year project of like, you know, how you can manage head funds, hedge yeah. funds. And it's very mathy and your brain is like on fire. So yeah. and it was boring. So I'm sitting there like trying to jam all the statistics and stuff in my head and looking out the window in my nice little neighborhood in Buckhead. And I'm and I'm just, you know, you can't help but think your mind wanders, but you're you know, mine's going so fast. So I'm looking out the window and I'm thinking some of these people are Democrats and some of these people are Republicans. Some of them are liberal and some of them are conservative. Like is one group like terrible drivers, child abusing wife beaters? Like what, what makes those idiots think that it's okay to redistribute wealth or whatever, you know, like what is it that makes them a bunch of idiots? And then I realized exactly what was going on which is every single part, you know, you have to act quickly and pick your side, categorize stuff, just absorb. You're, you feel lucky that you can read the journal and absorb it. Right. Not, I mean, much less analyze it. So I realized what was going on is that every single person on both sides of the aisle, not one of them, I, I shouldn't say it like that, but, you know, everybody I'm talking about, the people who fit in this category are 
never looking over their shoulders at the demonic power elite on their side of the aisle that the other side is seeing. So right. you're looking at the Democrats and you see uh, lying, manipulative, thieving, wealth redistributing, right. Demons. whatever. Yes. And then, but Democrats looking at Republicans, I'm just talking about the voters looking on, mm -hmm. across the aisle, they see warmongering, cronyistic, baby right. killing, you know, they like, see the stereotype. Like they see starving. the script. The other side yeah. says baby killing. Right. And, no, I mean, they see yeah. the script, the scripted character. They yes. don't see the individual. Just like um, they, when you look at when somebody in a, a black community or somebody who, in the worst case scenario, feels that all cops are out to kill them, all they see is an enemy, a predator police officer. They don't see the individual behind it and vice versa. And we see the stereotypes. But what's, you know, actually kind of funny is that if you look at it that way and you if they saw if you switched Hillary and Trump, the people you know would see a Republican in Hillary or see a Democrat in Trump. He just came out exactly with like right. maternally. It doesn't even matter. Like you, yeah. if you're really not looking over your shoulder, you really don't know. Now, now right. a lot of people are truly paying attention to Trump and they forgive him for that kind of stuff and make it make excuses, in my opinion. But basically just take him right. for what he's worth. I, I think Trump is a little bit of a more nuanced or less nuanced, you know, depending on how you look at it, character. But I really, I feel like what this, this divisiveness, this instant, you must choose a side. So you, I, I have, for, I know people who have switched sides and then are equally vehement. You're right. I read something about that. They did, they did studies on that in this book, Thinking Fast and Slow, mm -hmm. um, which is recommended by the CIA. They recommend <laughs> I their have that. I, I got it as a gift. I should look at it. Cass Sustin. Is that, is that how you say his name? Sunstein. Yeah, he's mentioned in it a, yeah. a whole bunch. Um, but this, they did studies on people who switched their views. And the, it was an incredibly high rate of people. Almost all of them, when asked about their previous views, could not remember them. They could not. What? They could not accurately state what they stated previously before they had switched views. The studies were done over a long period of time because yeah. these these new beliefs replaced the old ones in in mind. So they were the ones that were salient. They were the ones that were connected to emotions. So through rationalizing and not wanting to experience cognitive dissonance, they expressed basically what they believe now. That was they could not they could not say what they believed in the past. Well, what was that crazy. famous quote about how I, I actually don't agree with the quote, but it comes up more often than I I might have to get my mind around it better, where he says the the true uh, mark of intelligence is to be able to hold in your mind two opposing views simultaneously. It's some like Oscar Wilde thing or whatever, yeah. and I never really got that. I mean, I can, but but maybe what I am talking about is when I actually stepped back and saw that happening. Then I realized, because I used to, I was always a libertarian. Always. I, and, I, and now I'm an anarcho-capitalist. But when I, was a liber when I was a libertarian, I still thought, well, at least the Republicans understand individualist morality versus collectivist morality. Don't believe in wealth redistribution. Believe in self-defense and all that. But then I, when I stepped back, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's just the line they feed the people, they're completely right. not like that. The, the politicians are not like that at all. They're not better at all. They are not, they ha, do not hold those values. They don't hold any values. The few who do will quickly find out that they're not going to make a difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They, they use, they leverage whatever um, talking points can, uh, can stimulate those emotional reactions. And then really, it's not anything, they're really all the same outside of that.
Yeah, I think so. But I, I did notice that collectivist individualist thing. It might be interesting to point out that you know, it kind of puzzles me that this country is so divided because it's divided. There, there's really, this is something I've discovered over the years. I, I am, I guess, an auto tie tack. Like I teach myself these things. I was like classically educated. So there is somebody out there who is classically like, educated. I hope I'm not getting it wrong. But what I found is basically there's two moralities, two possible moralities, Plato versus Aristotle. Plato says the collective is the, is the primary unit of society. But Aristotle says the individual is, and that's where morality starts. So Plato says society can make individuals do stuff for the good of society. Aristotle says you have to do the right thing always, no matter what. And of course, I agree with Aristotle, not only because that's, you know, just how I think, you know, but, but really because that's where the control is. You can only control yourself. That's why I think individualism is the seed of morality. But when I was reading these articles about the conflict in Charlotte, there I didn't realize there were placards saying this. It was just showed an incredibly state, a very staged looking picture of a protester confronting, you know, a, a RoboCop looking guy. The one that said it was a book, a big sign. It was a book. No, no. I think there were several of similarly staged looking photos. Maybe that was in the background, but this, the caption underneath it said uh, that she said, or whatever the article said, that what she was saying to the cop was, why do you keep killing us? Why do you keep killing us? And then there were signs like that. And for me, that epitomized collectivist thought, identity, politics, you know, that guy. And I noticed this because I want to, I, you know, I'm not a fan of public schools. So you want to say they're teaching the kids crap. My sister's a public school teacher. My kids went to the public schools for a time and those teachers seem to really want to do the right thing. Like you can't throw them all under the bus, but that's, that's what this is all about. It's about uh, feeling victimized, blaming and being able to judge stereotype right. group. And it's coming from the left, which is kind of funny, but that's what collectivism is. And that's why it, it it's the inevitable. So when Trump says that stuff about the real racists on the left, you, the racist, the racist memes do come from both sides. And of course, that goes back to the original thing. That's where the tension comes from. That's where the call for an arbiter right. comes from. But but if you point that out, though, if you point out that racist, you know, racist actions and behavior comes from both sides, yeah. then you are a racist. Uh-oh. Am I going to – am I racist? <laughs> no, I mean it makes you more of a racist. If, if someone were to point out – Oh, do, because if you think that Hillary's mumbo-jumbo right. is like, racist, Somebody, somebody would racist. say, well, Trump supporters are racist, and I would say, well, yeah, sure there are Trump supporters that are racist. There are also a bunch of Hillary supporters that are racist. Now, I would need to ask them, are we talking only – are we defining racism as only white people can be racist? Because every race yeah. can be racist. Well, I think they call the other reverse racism – I don't know. They ignore the other is what they do. And, and not say not to minimize the problems that there are problems, but the fact is they use racism as a way to divide and conquer. They they use racism as a way to turn oh, us and they each keep other. it alive. I mean, this is the thing right. that uh that it's it's hard for I think it's hard for people to recognize because you don't want to pan I I I think the left kind of puts words in your mouth. I, I just happened to stumble on like a friend's wife's Twitter feed or whatever. Oh, and, I, didn't, I didn't know how that sentence was going to end for a second. <laughs> I just 
Twitter feed. It just popped up in my thing. I think they were reading, you know, Twitter was reading my address book and pulled somebody out of my past, you know? And the whole thing was like, I can't believe in this society. And this is like a rich white lady, rich, you know, from like acres and acres of land and, you know, whatever, upstate New York. And, uh, and all these like means, she's really sympathizing with uh, the Black Lives Matter thing. And um, it's, it's makes her feel good, makes her feel she's on the right side. Yeah. But here's the thing that, so I, that doesn't, uh, that does not appeal to me, but I will say when you, there is, there is a lot of evidence. Well, like that report from Iron Mountain, where it says you want to create a victimized, a, a despised ethnic group within your society that can draw fire and you can look at things. And they said, create a euphemized form of slavery. This is what it says in the book to, to that can serve multiple purposes, like pulling people out mm. of society, out of the workforce, keeping them out of trouble. And, and then the drug war emerges and has such a disproportionate effect on minorities. Welfare itself. They went into inner city black communities to destigmatize welfare because that was not part of the culture. They stayed married. They had, and look at how it's destroyed. Yeah. And I, I say that that is deliberate, and and that's, and it's because it has such political power. Yeah, exactly. And speaking to something you said uh, a couple minutes ago with the, the moral philosophies of Plato and Aristotle, uh, a third one I would add in, which is the one that most of the elites who are behind a lot of these things follow and adhere to, is, is Machiavellian. He was all about putting on public appearances, about making the public believe that you're moral, you're just, you're religious, that you're one of them. That way later on you can you know, you can win their trust and then you can pull them around and use them as pawns in your grander self-interested schemes. Can you put that and make it more of an example in today's terms? I guess an example would be what it was a very much a the ends justify the means mentality using any tactic possible regardless of what happens to the people you're manipulating. Cunning coercion, like a president convincing the public that they have to fight a war on, on moral grounds when in reality they're just going over there to, to install a, a new leader or to destabilize a country or to take a bunch of oil. But you know the public's not going to fight for that, so you have to convince them it's a moral thing. Or a leader, a president convincing the public that they have to – it's the right thing to do to give control of the healthcare system over to the government. When in reality, the, the government doesn't care about the right thing to do. They only care about shifting more power over to the government, over to the rulers. That was Machiavelli's thing. You, you have to manipulate people. You must lie. He actually says that in The Prince. A ruler must lie because he believed that other people would lie or backstab you, so you needed to do it before them. But you needed to make them think that you have their back, knowing full well that you were going to stab them in it when it served your best interest. Wow. I did not think that Machiavelli was – I mean I realized that <laughs> that he was <laughs> – Machiavelli was so Machiavellian. No, it's, I realize yeah, yeah. <laughs> I realize that that's where that term, but it's like Marquis de Sade, you know, sadism and all that comes out of Marquis de Sade. Do you ever hear that? Like the expression uh, sadism was from this French guy who wrote these really racy, edgy books. But compared to today, Marquis de Sade stuff was like 
nothing, you know, it's no big deal. So I think, yeah. so my, my cursory reading of Machiavelli in ninth grade or whatever, I didn't realize how, how good and nothing really changes, which is why you see all these parallel techniques that pop up. We've talked about that before. Like you can see stuff like the Brexit was driven by populism. Trump is driven by populism. The uh, the Walter Scott versus Freddie Gray and then the Tulsa versus Charlotte thing. Like they just see something that works. I guess it lasts hundreds of years. And let me point out another, uh, you know, re- repeated pattern or parallel thing that I think we're seeing now that the, uh, what was the movie I saw? It was the Bo Bridges, the Jeff Bridges movie that just came out. Um. This is the thing. I was saying they they want to identify a despised ethnicity, and that's how they keep the the people divided. And that I I personally believe, without a doubt, that the blacks in this country have been deliberately corralled for decades with inner city stuff, the drugs, the welfare. I really even like the uh, language. I think Bill Cosby who was was actually pointing out the importance of culture and language and how hard it is to get out of your situation if you're not speaking the same, whether you don't like it, that it's a white language or not. If you're not speaking that language, you're not going to be able to function economically and you're the only one who's going to get hurt, which is why I I think that is so important that they had to take him out. Because I got to tell you, there's probably... More CDs and books written by one person and performed by one person burned on the next day after Bill Cosby revelations came out because everybody got rid of all their Bill Cosby stuff. And there it is. They want to be associated with it. But here's the thing where this is my punchline is that I believe there is going to be a there that we are seeing. I don't know if it if it's going to switch or just layer on that the deplorables are going to be a white minority are going to be the white despised ethnicity right yeah and there will be oppression yeah that's exactly what they're doing that's i mean you nailed it in a video i made a couple weeks ago i said something similar about uh the the alt-right and they fall under the same category and what they're doing is, is this is a propaganda technique and it's totally i even called it the bill cosby effect oh really yeah is is, uh by by demonizing this group then you in effect discredit everything that they say that might be relevant or true so when it's kind of like when you hear the, the name David Duke, you only think of racism and you only think of somebody you don't want to be associated with. But there's a lot more to the person than that. But you don't ever think about those other things or any of the messages he delivers. So just because somebody is a racist or, or a bad person, that doesn't mean they don't tell the truth sometimes. It doesn't mean they don't reveal information oh, sometimes. Oh, it always. This is another thing I noticed. That's why you're looking over your shoulder, whatever the Democrat-Republican thing. There's never a scenario where there isn't truth on the side that the side, the conflict, like my art of ambiguity thing, that conflict requires that there be truth and falsehood on both sides. I'm not saying David Duke, I've ever heard anything that David Duke said that I agreed with. I'm not saying that I I don't follow him closely. Totally right there. We both feel the need to to like say it's not that we're we know yeah. we have to separate ourselves from David Duke. Yeah, have just, to just watch even, it, but you have to watch the, it anyway. I mean, there are people out there who are there to trap you. Like the right. association is there to trap you. He's probably a CIA agent with the, with the deportables. Like you hit the nail on the head. They're trying to yeah. create that feeling in people to where they're like, no, but I'm not one of those people. I'm not. Right. I, I just. You know. But some people say that 
the KKK was so totally infiltrated by the FBI or the CIA for so long that really it is simply an agent of provocation. It draws, you know, it could draw real people. But the but the movie I watched that really I consider to be the turning point moment where the deplorables were the despised minority was this movie, Hell or High Water, which... Now, the first real evidence of it I had was when Hillary said, you gun nuts, gun rights people or whatever, gun nuts, have the rest of America terrified. And the Bundy Ranch thing, that's when I saw that that, that was, was, going, was being created as a despised minority. But this movie, Hell or High Water, with Jeff Bridges and Chris Pine, it, it would have been a good movie. Like, it's, it's, it's a good story. It's well done, wonderfully acted, beautiful scenes, everything. It was, really should have been enjoyable. And it would have been for my poor husband if he hadn't brought me. But I was sitting there the whole time, like, really? 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 Can't you see that manipulation? Can't you see that message? What is that just pot shot against white people? Why are all the white people stupid? And I don't even care about that stuff. I do not care. I, I actually love diversity. I think the source of conflict is usually values oriented. It's it's a fact of people yeah. not being on the same page as far as right and wrong and really is not at all racial or even cultural people who come here to this country because they want to be here. I mean, I'm a mutt. I mean, is that like an un-PC expression? I don't know. But I, I don't know. You're racist for so calling many, yourself a mutt. I don't know. Mutt. Like, I'm a mixture of various cultures. My I kids, think we all are. Like, everybody that's is. What I, I, so I'm not too worried about that, but but uh, but you're right. I'm just distancing myself from sounding like a white supremacist by right. observing how this movie and that's makes... a control mechanism. I mean, that's yeah. like yeah, yeah. So that I, movie, I de- yeah, yeah. So that what movie was the name was, of the movie again? It was called Hell and, or High Water. Hell or High Water, okay. and it it just oh oh I know what really set me off on that movie. It had a totally untenable. Pr- uh, premise where it starts from the beginning i mean not giving it away although maybe fast forward a minute if you don't want to know anything about it i hate knowing anything about a movie it says uh this guy has a really valuable piece of land with a tiny mortgage on it and he has no cash to pay the mortgage so he robs banks to pay the mortgage now i was a banker if you have an extremely valuable piece of property with a tiny mortgage on it you can't pay they just refinance that or you sell, you know. Like, that's my only option. That's like, I'm out of money. I better go be a hooker. Yes. It just could never in a million years happen. It was such a ridiculous premise. I could not accept it. But it was in order to demonize banks, to demonize. So it demonized the you know, white elite and also the white trash. It was extremely, yeah. you know, and openly saying, you know, you white people, you know. So I just, I just... I'm, my point is not that it irritated me because of how it depicted white people. It irritated me about how it depicted banking. I don't like the IMF and the World Bank and all those control things, but the guy who gives you a mortgage is probably just a guy who's trying to make a living. You want the mortgage. Right. Uh, but but you see the symbol, though. You don't see the guy behind it. Yes, and that's and that's what that was about. But but the but my point about observing all of the messages there was that I felt it was a poignant and robust uh, example or manifestation of the of a transformation in our society, like the the tipping point. What do you call that when it goes the point of no return? Uh, I just I feel like that's that that 
you know, if you watch it, maybe you can say that, but it's very, it's, I, I, it's uncomfortable talking about this stuff, but we're so propagandized to, to, here's the problem. The propaganda is so obvious, yet the conditioning to not talk about it is so uh, deep. Right. From, from the time we're kids, it's just, yeah. it's embedded in our unconscious mind and what he calls in this uh, thinking fast and slow book, your system one. Your system one is your automatic reaction is what you get conditioned with. It's like survival instincts. You just react automatically. System two is the cognitive processes. We've all been conditioned to anytime we talk about stuff like this to go, no, 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 but I'm not like this to, to preempt things. Um, yeah, they condition us to, to feel a certain way about certain symbols, certain stereotypes like the bank, like white people, like black people, like immigrants. And once it's embedded in our unconscious mind, we automatically react to – the symbol and not the people behind the symbol. So we're reacting to how we feel about the symbol, not how we feel about the people. That goes to the collectivist thing that you can, that you can judge entire groups, which is stereotyping, which is, which is a left thing. The the left is the collectivist. Oh, and and what they do, what the media does is, is, see, here's the thing is we have to have stereotypes. Otherwise we'd be critically examining everything. We'd never leave the house because we'd never be, we'd never feel confident enough to do anything. Right. It's It's a matter of judgment. Right. It's the quality of the stereotypes that we have. But what the media does is the media takes the worst case scenario, the worst, the worst of the worst in every group, the, the worst cop, the cops that, that killed somebody without, without cause, then the, uh, the, the black guy who rioted without cause, and they paint the entire group with these worst case scenario stereotypes. And then they yell at you for thinking that way. Right. Exactly. But see, stereotypes, I mean, I, I don't want to call it stereotype, whatever. I want on another show to talk, really get into culture because culture does matter if you live in a culture where everybody's always an hour and a half late for everything and there are cultures like that you just don't mean new york was kind of like that when i lived there i mean nobody out you'd say your party started at eight and if someone showed up at eight you'd be like i just got out of the shower what are you what are you doing here (laughs) so if so you're just you in stereotype New Yorkers. They're always late, you know, or at least when they still live in New York, they're always going to be late. You adapt to that, and it's good to have those kind of judgments, those cultural norms, so that there aren't misunderstandings. Because otherwise, you're going to be super pissed off. You're an hour and a half late to my party. I don't know yeah. any place else I've ever lived where it's okay to be super late. Yeah, you know, never. So I don't now, <laughs> but I used to, and I feel like those kind of. Uh, those kind of attributes, those kind of norms, norms that are expected, maybe they don't rise to the level of morality and ethics, which is also, uh, I think there's one overarching ethic, don't touch me or my stuff, that really should apply in all societies, but I, I'm not sure it does apply to all societies. But then there are levels of what people would consider okay behaviors, right. you know, and I and and so that stuff does have its value. Yeah, and that's why the immigration thing, when you put two cultures together, can cause destruction because people have two completely different normals. Yes, and I was thinking that I, I've thought of that and noticed that a long, long time, but I I just had the revelation or insight that there's also some of those groups have the in-group, out-group thing. Oh, yeah. So, so you can't, it's called double ethic where you treat your own group better. There's a time, I, I bet that's, more groups are like that than not like that. More countries, yeah. more religions, more tribes, more ethnicities are are where, oh, you're one of us, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this is the real party, you know? <laughs> right. So 
so so you don't you not only have like differing norms but you also have people who won't don't don't think it's part of their norms is that you can treat the out group differently and they should expect that i mean you expect right. it to be arm's length transactions with the out group but hey i th- i thought i could expect more you're from my country why did you you know you're right. my brother-in-law i thought i got a discount yeah. but secretly your brother-in-law is like i'm not really on this team i'm on this international team of wealthy <laughs> globalists i'm like pretending oh, to be on that's your team. the other thing people don't realize is that your leaders in washington they're globalists <laughs> right they are right. not on your team and zbigniew brzezinski wrote about that there's a power elite that rises above right. nationality ethics traditional ethics yeah. You know what that means? Tradition, that's when you read that pedophile stuff. That's from people who right. do, do not hold themselves accountable to That's ethics. part of their culture. Like stuff like that. Stuff that, yeah. that, that just blows our minds that we've yes. never even thought of as part of, of this international elite culture. This, that we, like, it's seriously like a, a, foreign off, a foreign country that we've never been to, an isolated island of aborigines we know nothing about them that's 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 what their culture it's it's that much different than ours yes and they and because they control the media or at least are deferred to by the media you're never going to find it you find some stuff on the internet which is like i dismissed a lot a lot of that stuff for a really long time and then i saw a couple of really Right. It's uncomfortable to think about. And when you create a culture where people don't believe that would ever happen, where they're just shocked yes. by stuff like that, right. then you kind of protect they, – they protect themselves. They shield themselves. They don't themselves. think their in-group is going to do it. See, that's the thing. Yes, yes. I mean exactly. stuff happens. 9-11 happened. What's the, what's the question people have? Who did it? Right. It's much easier to believe the out-group did it than that I mean, the in-group did yeah, it. Yeah, totally. You nailed it. And – like an example of this is Jimmy Seville from uh, the UK. Uh, it, it, people can look him up. I'm not going to go. Makes me shudder. But he was a, a beloved public figure who, for 50 years, victims were coming forward saying that he he raped him and like children. Like he he was raping people for 50 years and he was protected. Nobody believed it. It, it he, they had a three day service that they just uh, celebrated his life across the whole country when he died. Did you ever right? see the note that Prince Charles sent him? No, but I knew that he was uh, – he, like, helped Prince oh, Charles. Thanks for thanks for coming to my birthday party. It wouldn't have been the same without you. Oh, that was wow. – thanks for the, you know, great surprise. I mean, he, was, he was knighted twice, once by the queen ah! and once by the pope. I mean, he was friends the of royalty. Pope? Yeah, and it took, despite all the allegations, because people didn't want to believe it, um, they didn't want to hold those thoughts in their mind because it was uncomfortable, it took him dying and them going to his house – and uncovering a a rape layer, basically, that was like uh, um, a layer yeah. that had all his, pictures of victims and, and, and like all kind of just evidence to just show that he was guilty. And he was part of an international pedophile ring. It took that happening. And I, and I don't know if there was any relation with Sandusky. There was a woman here, Nancy Schaefer, I think, Garland Favrito wrote some articles about her. She and her husband were supposedly killed in a murder-suicide, but I think she was uncovering some of that stuff in Georgia about oh, um, child services having yeah, something, something to do with about it. That. It's too disturbing. I can't. I don't want to go there. Just, it's, tough. Yeah, it's tough to think about. That's, that's... Gosh, geez, Binkley. We, we went way went down, we went down, down the rabbit hole right there, didn't uh, we? Is it too early for cocktail? <laughs> I just, I'm done. Um, but I think what I really want to do is I want to, we had so much going on here 
it, you know what, to tell you the truth, what really bothers me is with these dialectics where people are pitted against each other is I don't have any, I don't have those feelings. I don't want to think of people in groups. I really don't want to think of the world broken up like this. I don't want to think of a demonic superclass or, yeah. you yeah. know, or uh, despised underclasses. I don't want to think of, um, you know, I really feel like these, like what you were saying earlier, these dialectics serve a political purpose, but then they're self-fulfilling. Like ISIS is a great example of that. You can see pictures of McCain with al-Baghdadi, who's like yeah. the big daddy of ISIS. But then, you know, they're killing people. You know, people on all sides of those conflicts are really killing people, really going crazy. They know that they can terrorize right. the population. Nobody's going to stop them. And they start... These madrasas, people in our control, like uh, um, the blind sheikh apparently runs radicalization schools from a jail in the U.S. that schools that are in North Africa. So these these causes real movements. Say it again. It causes real movements to happen. Yes. Yes. Or they provide. I really don't know. But it just. This all bums me out. I, I think. The technology, the peace and prosperity, this is why I always focus on the report from Iron Mountain. It was this moment in time when they saw peace was possible. Peace was possible because the nuclear weapon, Tesla said this, he wanted to create a weapon so powerful and give it to everyone so that there could be no more war. And that that's what he said. It's very interesting that he right. that was his goal to create a powerful weapon to end war. Right. Then we ha- we got that weapon. So we don't let anybody have it because that would really end war. And they saw, though, that the possibility of ending war and and at that same moment, you had the Green Revolution. The actual Green Revolution was was when I forget the name of the really famous scientist who increased crop yields by like at least four times virtually overnight. So it changed the carrying capacity of Earth so that now we can exceed all population projections. We could carry 14 billion people, which is more than we ever expect to have. On the earth. So we had peace and prosperity. So we could be moving past this. I think this is what JFK's last speech was about that he said, I'm not talking about a Pax Americana. I'm talking about a real peace for all time, for all people. And I'm not, I'm not a Democrat, not a huge JFK fan, but I think that's why they offed him because he saw that the CIA was causing a lot of these trouble, troubles, like right. the revolutions and stuff. So what, I, what I'm saying is, that I really feel like we could be beyond this, that we could all just tend your garden or uh, meditate or or build a huge factory, like do what you want, you know, contemplate the true nature of God. Like we don't need to be stuck in this hundred year old uh, or hundred years defunct or 70 years defunct right. paradigm of of war and struggle and poverty. I think we've actually gotten past that technologically and they, and they simply withhold it. Right. And, and exactly. And, and we have to, we have to embrace the, on an emotional level on that, like automatic response level, we have to embrace that the, the pie is not limited, that is, that is ever expanding yes. because when in the limited pies, when people fight and that's how they, they, they make everybody think that it's a, the pie is limited. But I would say there's just so many pies. I know. There's well, so yeah. many pies. You there's just so little that you need, you know, in a place pies where everywhere. you don't have, <laughs> there's no famine or pestilence. You can, you know, maybe you want to eat cake. 
There's just it, it, yeah, whatever. I mean, there's plenty. There's there's plenty to go around, and it's hard. It's they keep people focused on if somebody has something, then I'm losing something. But and, I'm saying it's not. It's not even just that there's plenty. I just really want to clarify. It's not just that there's plenty to go around. We don't even know the possibilities of human oh, yeah. achievement. Yeah. And that's a thing of yours, I know. You you think we we are in a cage created by our own mind. Uh, yeah, society. I think that there's so more. I think they say 50 years ahead of us when it comes to technology. They they've they've been saying that for like 50 years. If we were if they were 50 years ahead of us 50 years ago, they're like a thousand years ahead of us now because right. of the rate of so change. So now you're making me wonder about the lizard people. Like maybe that's real. Uh, oh, we're gonna go into those. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, wait, no, no. Hold on. Do you have anything else on? I have tons of stuff we can we can round out. We should now. we should button up the uh, uh, the the kind of uh, the arc relating back to the destabilization and stuff that you uh, started off with. Uh, yes. So it's so when I started, the overarching idea was the strategy of tension, which I kind of subtitled for. Uh, based on the definition that was given in this academic thing, gateway to martial law. And here's the thing. It said, I'm getting back to this because this is where we started. It, 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 these false flag attacks, this terrorism, uh, civil unrest was created a collapse of public confidence in democratically elected government, precipitating a takeover by the army. And what, what I had already identified as the agenda here, and we talked about it at length, was the nationalizing the police, growing the police state, increasing the surveillance state. And it's it's really weird because I noticed over and over the mayor, um, a another man, a man who was at the press conference. I was just listening to it. I wasn't seeing it. So I couldn't I don't know who it was, but I noticed this this uh, theme. They kept saying this is not Charlotte. This is not our identity. And then I saw in the newspaper I saw that after I had noticed that, I saw this headline, Riots Upend Charlotte's Civic Identity. Riots Upend Charlotte's Civic Identity. And yet another person, uh, Lisa Crawford, says, this is not who we are. And I, I couldn't really figure out what it was. And then I remembered that strategy of tension definition about collapse of faith in democratic society. And in this in the article, it starts out with, Charlotte until recently had boomed as a beacon of the New South with a pragmatic approach to civic problems that said what was good for all was good for business. But now the vaunted Charlotte way isn't working. So the pragmatic civic approach or the pragmatic approach to civic problems isn't working. Now, if that's not a collapse in the faith of a democratic system, I don't know what is. Yeah. I mean, I, what do you want? Look at that picture. That's what yeah, do you want? <laughs> you know, I always I'm watching I watch these videos sometimes and I see the images and I'm like, they're not even saying what these images are. They're just they're they're, they're, oh, they're oh, they could be totally images from somewhere else. If you want to wrap it up, don't get me started because the five <laughs> videos that I was hoping to play on this show right now, if you just I only want to play them so I can juxtapose them against what it says in the article. It says this woman killed the guy in Tulsa, this cop. Uh, she felt she was in danger of her life. When you look at the video, she's standing there with three other cops. They all appear to have tasers, not guns. Right. The guy is nowhere near her. And let's play uh, him. All right, let's go. Okay. Which one do you want to do first? Let's do that one first, Tulsa. Okay, this is audio and video from the shooting in Tulsa from the police dashboard cam and from the police helicopter. 
Nikki Six. James Hetfield is sitting in with us tonight. Speaking of like pleasing your fans and always being their band, do you find it really hard? Which way are they facing? Now? They're facing westbound. Uh, they came may have just been pagered. See, what was that with panicked shots fired? Was she talking into a mic? Why can't we hear anything else from her audio? Look, and you hear the shots fired thing again from the helicopter. That's got a feeling that's about to happen. Okay, look. That looks like a bad dude too. Oh, behind a tree. Which way are they facing? Behind the truck, the car. Right. Yeah, so he's behind the car when it happens. Why did? The, why is the helicopter fired. spinning around? Why is it just now zooming in and stopping? I need, to, right. I need to get this uh, eastbound closed down if they could, because they're not going to be able to let anybody. Okay. That was an absolutely ambiguous video. Both videos obscure what's happening. That tells you nothing conclusive in that video. Nothing. But there in numerous articles, it said, uh, the charges in Tulsa come as a police shooting in Charlotte has, by contrast, brought two nights of protest and unrest. It says, um, the guy, the... The police chief in Charlotte, so this article is is after two nights of violence, it, Chief Kerr Putney brushed aside demands by activist community leaders and the news media to make the police video public, quote, we release it when we believe there is a compelling reason, he said. Then it goes on to say, on Thursday, a white officer in Tulsa was charged with manslaughter in the fatal shooting of an unarmed black man last week, a case in which startling police video was released within days of the encounter. So that was that. I mean, startling. I don't know. But this is all about how you need to get the cameras on the police and the feds are going to pay for it. And and I just want to say that if they do that, I'm totally against that because all they'll do is go to riots, go to protests, and with their facial recognition on the cameras, they will know every single person, everything you think, every place you assemble. It's total surveillance. And if you're going to do it, I want a dedicated 24-7 live streaming URL for every single government camera, every street corner, every cop, everything. Because if they can do that without a warrant, it's public information. They work for me. I want it. And that way they can't cut the edges off or any of that stuff. But that'll never happen because that's not what this is for. Yeah, that as long as it's ambiguous, then then they can... They can divide us, and they can also interpret it the way they want because there's been interpretations on both sides. There's been people who are absolutely certain that uh, she murdered him, and she's actually being um, – she was arrested. And yeah. there's people on the other side who said she was justified, that he was reaching into the car. I looked he, up the statute under which she was arrested, first-degree manslaughter in Oklahoma, and you're not allowed to use deadly force if uh, – even in the commission of a crime, even to prevent the commission of a crime, if it's not strictly necessary. And that's yes. what she's being held on from what yes. I can tell. And if, if this is – see, now, that, what I was talking about earlier the, and the strategy of tension is 
these things, this can cause another situation like this to happen because a woman is going to find herself in a situation, a woman police officer or a man police officer or a male police officer is going to find himself with a, a, a black man and they're going to have memories of this come up. This is going to pop into their mind. Um, and then the, there's the police officers who get shot, who've been getting shot lately. That's going to pop into the police officer's mind. So both of them are going to have those images salient right. in their memory. And they're going to be thinking, this person is going to do to me what that person that I remember did to that other guy who's dead. And so that's going to make them more likely to uh, to pop that tension. And they're also going to know what the outcome was, whether they can yeah. get away with it or not. And I, <laughs> exactly. And for a long time, from the moment Obama came out and spoke about Ferguson – that we needed kinder, gentler policing in minority communities. I was like, really? You just want more crime in minority communities for whatever reason. That's what you're asking for. And if you if you start convicting cops for this stuff, I I, I am not I'm not I'm not falling for the dialectic. Like those cops are under fire, or um, this this police problem is uh, is um, race based. I'm not saying that, but they they can man, they can manipulate what you're saying how because they really want an outcome they want a rise in crime or they want right. an increase in racism they want a systematic yeah, systemic yeah. outcome exactly and they and know if you put like. if you put the right people in a room together that just hate each other and feel this tension and you can just stir it up you know that some sort of bad thing is going to happen i have to so now i want to Go to the Charlotte thing, the, okay. the Wall Street Journal. That do you have that that report by the Wall Street Journal where he explains what happened? So this was my exposure. The British guy. Yes, my exposure to what I was trying to figure out what actually happened to trigger the riot, and this was my first impression of the event. Protests erupted on the streets of Charlotte, North Carolina, late Tuesday after a 43-year-old black male was shot and killed by police officers. According to a police department spokesman, officers saw Keith Lamont Scott get out of a vehicle with a gun and then get back in. When officers approached, Mr Scott got out of the car with the gun again. At that point, officers deemed him a threat, and Officer Brentley Vinson shot him, police said. Detectives recovered a gun at the scene and were interviewing witnesses. A woman claiming to be the daughter of Mr Scott live-streamed the scene shortly after the shooting. In the video, she repeats, They just shot my daddy. He's dead. The video was shared tens of thousands of times across social media. The story is he was sitting in his car reading a book, waiting to pick up his daughter, I think maybe from school. And this guy is saying this video that went viral, that sparked the riots, had in it, this, his daughter saying, they shot my daddy, he's dead. Okay? It really is super sad. I just have this image in my mind of this little girl. They shot my daddy, my daddy, he's dead. He was reading in the car, just like any normal guy waiting for his daughter to come out of yeah. school. And uh, so I wanted to listen to the original video because I thought it would give me a little more color. Do you have the, <laughs> the audio? Can we actually play that? Let's play that audio, and I, 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 Can you just I watched say, it. Earmuff your kids. Turn it off if there's anybody in the room who's at all. <laughs> oh, or dogs, or if you have any horses or dogs in the room, cover their ears, get them out of the room. No, that that's something. That's the other one. Yeah, go, go. Let's hear the. Uh, let's hear the daughter. 
Oh, yes. No, you're right. You're right. It is this one, Kev. Okay. These are clips from the video filmed by the girl claiming to be Keith Scott's daughter. The same girl in the same video that the Wall Street Journal reported about in this manner. In the video, she repeats, they just shot my daddy. He's dead. Now, we only have parts of the clips. We don't have the whole thing. The whole thing's an hour long. So if you want to see the entire video, we'll include a link. Here it is. The police just shot my daddy four times for being black. They tased him first and then shot him. Okay, Talk yeah, about he got a motherfucking gun. You white fucker. You a white bitch. Right, he fucking he disabled. disabled. How the fuck he gonna shoot y'all? He didn't got no motherfucking gun. You know damn well my motherfucking what daddy ain't had no shirt? motherfucking gun. Hey, you, you bitch. Ain't, my daddy ain't had no motherfucking gun. You look bastard. He probably be raping his motherfucking daughter. Bitch, he don't got no motherfucking gun. Stop about jump your gun. He don't got no motherfucking gun. You fucking pigs. Yeah, fuck 12. Ugly as hell. All of them ugly. Over there putting shit in the car. Ain't shit in that motherfucking car. Nothing in that fucking car. Fuck 12. Fuck your daughters. Fuck your damn wives. Fuck your mamas. Fuck your sons. Don't forget to fuck the hook. Fuck y'all dogs. Y'all know y'all white crackers. Fuck dogs. No, they fuck horses. They damn motherfucking horse. No, the women horses. fuck horses. The niggas be fucking the dogs. Okay, okay so that was the sweet, <laughs> sweet little girl. I really, I, I feel like, I don't know, putting a blanket on or taking a shower. Like, I don't know why. I, I definitely don't feel like rioting on her behalf. Like, that is not what I feel like doing. That went on for an hour. Yeah, and why, I, I'm just, I, there have been many tragedies in my family. And I don't laugh. I'm not laughing at anybody's tragedy. But I have never in my life seen, I mean, I'm talking big, strong men, cold fish, every different kind of person. There's so many tragedies in uh, from my family because we're just a huge family. Went through the 60s, culture clash. I've seen a lot. And I have never seen anyone respond to a shocking death in any way but shock. Right. You know, you know they, they say they express shock. They fall to their knees. They scream. Yeah. They hold their ears. Anything to make it stop. I can't believe this reality or you just freeze. There's what what is happening there? I do not believe that that is the daughter of that man in real time. I don't believe it. CNN's version of that video, it, you know, and we see that they say in the middle of the video, she finds out that he dies. So they said that she finds out that he dies, and they show the clip of her just screaming. And I'm like, wait a minute. She spent 30 minutes berating police officers while her <laughs> dad was bleeding to death somewhere. Right. And then she found out that he died, and then she expressed shock. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. Do we do we have time to play the sister and then the mom? If we do it quick, I think we can do it. Jump out of their vehicle and shot him. Said, hands up. He got a gun. Pow, pow, pow. Ain't nobody been in the car with him. They will not give us the name of the officer that has shot him. And they have yet to give us a report. Yet people are calling my phone saying that your brother had a gun. He had no gun. He didn't have no gun. When does a book equal a gun? Reading a book. He was reading a book. All right, can I get your name? No, we don't no, give out names. Name. No, we don't. They give haven't out released their that officer's well, name that killed, that killed my brother. Yeah. 
I don't believe right. so. The daughter sounded exactly like the sister. Now you don't see this the daughter on camera, but they seem to be the same age range. Maybe but they, maybe they are. Could have, but anyway, so this, his sisters were there. The daughter was there. The final video was just released Friday, and it was the wife in a similar situation. She's 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 yelling. She walks upon this situation where he's supposedly sitting in the car reading a book there. And while you see, she, you don't see her, but you see her video on her phone, the cops pointing at him. And she's saying pretty calmly, walking calmly, he's got a TBI. He's not going to hurt you. And I'm like, what is a TBI? He's got a TBI. Is that a taser? Is that some kind of gun? Is that like a thing that looks like a gun? But isn't a gun? Maybe it's Aleppo. 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 Maybe that's what Aleppo is. Um, But he, I had to Google it. Uh, It's a traumatic brain injury. So they, I don't know, maybe all cops know that and all civilians do not know that. um, But he has a traumatic, so he's brain damaged. She sees him in this insane situation. So I have a son with Down syndrome. We were walking through the airport once and he went through the screener, and the metal detector, and I was on the other side and they called a drill. But they don't say this is a drill. They say, everybody freeze. So my kid's a runner anyway. Like you ha- I, I almost never let go of his hand ever, ever, ever. And I had to, to let him get through this thing, really. And I was really upset because he freaks out. So I I was like, I looked at the guy, the TSA guy next to me, and I was like, I have to go to him. You know, I don't want to start moving because you're going to shoot us all, but I have to go to that kid now. I mean, think he'll start screaming. Somebody will shoot him. Like, we have got to stop right now. So he's like, okay, go to him. And I went to him, thank God. You know, I mean, still very scary. So... If you have an extremely vulnerable person who can't handle a situation like that, you're going to put your phone down and you're going to say, he has a mental problem. I need to help. He is not armed. Not He's yeah. got a TBI. You're <laughs> not going to pull out your phone. You're not going to Facebook yeah. live he's it. Got, and start yelling that he has something, that he has a TBI. Like, what is right. that? that? So that's... it was weird. And then when he was shot, she said he better not be dead, but I'm telling you, my mother, when she got the call from the hospital after surgery that my 79-year-old father had died, so this is a vulnerable guy, old, she, and my mother is a uh, not demonstrative person, she dropped to her knees. She just collapsed onto the floor. This is a guy who's in surgery. Who had congestive heart failure? You know, yeah. he, there was a chance he was going to die. Right. She, this woman stands there totally composed. People say, "Oh, uh, grief happens in different ways." This does not ring true to me, and you don't see your face on it. So who knows? It's, yeah, it's really odd, and it's very odd. And I, I think, I think that the, those those videos are being used for a specific reason. I, I think that it's what I've because you know these were Facebook streamed. These were live streamed via Facebook and right. spread to thousands of people, and these were what fueled the riots. This was the second time this has happened. This happened in the Milwaukee riots also. Live videos were shot, so it bypassed the mainstream media provocation. They, they provoked it specifically through Facebook live stream, and this is what, uh, what I'm calling um, – you know, we have on-demand stuff, you know, Netflix, Uber. Yeah. This is on-demand riots. This is <laughs> – 
putting together a, a, a mindless crowd. Trigger, and, yeah. And, Exactly. And you can call them to action in any moment that you want. So knowing that they can use social media to do that, it's a tool of provocation that can instantly cause violence when necessary. Very interesting, because as I think is common knowledge, the Department of Defense developed the Internet. Then it was it was rolled out in public colleges and uh, and then eventually got to everybody. And a lot of people think that the information that we are getting because the the original motto of total information awareness the surveillance system put in place by bush but later had to be i don't know pushed underground was knowledge is power knowledge is power so what they want to do is they want to control the knowledge you get and make sure they get as much knowledge as they want so the internet is a two-way street they get all our knowledge from social media But we get knowledge, too, which is why they're going to try to put in cybersecurity and anti-piracy stuff. They do that so that they can control the they want to make sure they get the information so they don't want encryption. And they want to make sure they can shut down your information. So they want anti-piracy laws to give them excuses to shut down websites. But they really have it's quite a limited hangout to have us have all this information for you and me to have this conversation for people to be listening to it. That's that's not nothing, I think. Right. Boy, it, when you when you fold in that they can just light the whole thing on fire with social right. media at any time, that makes the the scales weigh a lot heavier in their favor that this makes sense. Not to mention, I was talking earlier about destroying culture. Yeah. If you one EMP in our lifetimes can wipe out every book, every photo, everything you have can wipe yeah. out this digital culture. I really fear that. I want to start printing out my photos. Right. But they... But that uh, the destructive power behind this instant uh, the digital herd. yes the psychology That's of the crowd really the on that mind vitamin that I'm going to have to <laughs> absorb I think we should kind Wrap of start it wrapping it up all right well that means it's time for what to look out for where we tell you things to look out for in the news. Look for something to be some sort of uh, event to be blamed on the alt-right. And I say the alt-right as opposed to – so look for some sort of event to happen and it to be blamed on the alt-right. A domestic thing. I say domestic because an international outside uh, terrorism type thing. I think this is the reason why that one kind of got pushed up to the side. Those outside threats unify people. They need to divide people. So by dividing people, I think there will be more domestic things happen. Interesting. Yeah. What else you got? Look for the debate that's been billed as a Super Bowl prize fight to be insanely boring. And up against Monday Night Football. Right. Donald Trump's not going to be outrageous. It's going to be very boring, and it's going to be underwhelming. They can't want people to watch it if they're taking – if they're putting it up against Monday Night Football. They did not do – in 2012, only one of the three debates was on a Monday. And here there's at least two of them, the first two. Uh, Okay. You want mine? Um, I have one, one more, more quick one, then, yeah, then you can uh, wrap it up on yours. And is, uh, this is just – I want everybody to go take a look at the um, uh, the Colin Kaepernick Time magazine cover where he is kneeling on the cover. And when you're looking at it, remember that this protest started not as Colin Kaepernick kneeling. It started as him sitting 
on the bench during the national anthem. A, right. a PR person came in and said, <laughs> you know, a quarterback who sits on the bench who just gives himself another reason for sitting on the bench isn't the type of symbol to really marshal a crowd. Yes. So let's turn this into a kneel because we're not going to have you sitting on the cover. And of there's Time so much. Yeah. And there's so much symbolism in a kneel. It's religious. Yeah. It's football-y. It's, it's active. It's, uh, Makes other people say, I'm going to do that it's too. It's disciplined and humble and powerful. Right. It's good. Exactly. It's good. Uh, so I just, I have many, but I'm only going to give go you ahead, two. I'm only going to give you two. Uh, the, the white, I wanted to talk about the terrorist stuff this week. We didn't get to it, but the wife, the wife seems to be a recurring theme in these terrorist uh, acts. So I, I think she's going to be a star of the show, even as soon as next week, the wife of the bomber found in the doorway, Rahami. I also, <sighs> oh, you have to aspirate the H? Rahami. I had a friend, Ahmad, Ahmad, Ahmed, who made me aspirate the H. So, um, micro, I, I, they, they said they discovered Zika in Miami and then they blanketed Miami or whatever, some neighborhood with pesticides. And from what I can tell, microcephaly, which people are, which the CDC says Zika causes microcephaly, dig into that one and see if- How do they blanket it? They just get like, uh, you know, planes, I think. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it. They sprayed pesticide. I actually don't know the mechanism. Um, But I looked into what causes microcephaly. I've written articles about it. I'm not going to get into it. But there seems to be a link between pesticides and microcephaly, which means small heads, but babies are born. So they said Zika causes microcephaly. And there were pregnant people in Miami, so they sprayed pesticide. And pesticides, in one article I read from New York Times in the 90s in Texas, they found that this pesticide resulted in 2.4 times as much microcephaly as populations who are not exposed to, not necessarily this particular pesticide, but a pesticide. So Miami should get, or whatever this neighborhood is, should get a spike in microcephaly regardless, because they actually did inject, insert an environmental factor known to cause microcephaly to kill the mosquitoes. So I'm just saying the Zika thing, I think is not, I I think it's a a hoax. I I don't know if it's a hoax, but it's not, it's a, it's a psyop. It's right. But it's funny because they will get the result they want. You know what you're saying? Like you get the answer. They're going to get the result they want because they have actually introduced a known causal agent for microcephaly into the community. They're watching for Zika-related microcephaly. So they actually blew up the experiment. But anyway, so there's just – oh, I know we don't have time to get into the whole Rahami issue. That was the – guy who supposedly blew off bombs in New York and New Jersey last weekend. They found him in the doorway. But there are two overarching themes to this this terror attack. Generally, the terror attacks, in part, radical Islamic terror attacks on U.S. soil and the whole refugee issue all, all are meant to give us justification to go into the Middle East uh, to violate the national sovereignty of other countries by saying they can't control their people, they can't control their problems, and we have to go in there and stamp them out at the source because they are just don't deserve national sovereignty because their problems are spilling over around the world. That's the, that's what American exceptionalism means. That's what makes us the policemen of the world is that we don't have to respect other people's national sovereignty because they 
we have such great judgment. And there was an article by Anders Fogg Rasmussen in the Wall Street Journal this week that said exactly that. America has to be the world's policeman because they have the moral compass. I think that we've done some things <laughs> that to prove that we cannot, uh, that we should not be have an exception to respecting the national sovereignty of other countries. But that is, we'll get into that more on another occasion. But this, but besides that, this Rahami thing had two specific agenda items, in my opinion, that I want you to watch out for. One is this uh, move towards pre-crime. They're talking about, we don't want to do racial profiling. We want to do criminal profiling, which includes travel, where you traveled, what you say on Facebook, um, what you buy, what uh, it talks about, where you pay tolls, what you purchase on Amazon, what you say on Facebook, where you've traveled. That, those are, that's the kind of profiling that should be able to flag people we should worry about because, and it says over and over again in the journal, that uh, the Rahami case raises troubling questions about whether U.S. law enforcement and intelligence are gathering, analyzing, and acting on the information they need to detect and disrupt threats before they happen, which is actually uh, not... See, this also... The, another terror weekend says... Americans expect their political leaders to focus on preventing attacks, not merely deploring them after the fact. But the reality is that the way our policing works, it's not about, they're not armed guards. They don't stand in front of your house. For the money we pay, we probably could actually afford armed guards standing in front of our houses than to pay all these taxes for police and a military that sometimes, especially in the case of the military, creates a blowback problem. But but even the police, they don't even have an obligation to act on your behalf. They're really there for a, I think it would be called a post facto uh, deterrent, that it, they're a deterrent after the fact that you will be caught and punished. And that's it. So this idea of preventing crime by targeting individuals, you can prevent crime by having safe areas, but by targeting individuals and taking them off the street before they've committed any crime, that's called pre-crime. And that's the whole like preemptive war preemptive strikes, preemptive uh, pre-crime are all the opposite of the American experiment. That's the whole point of our Bill of Rights restraining government because they will always use those uh, tools to benefit them at our expense, which is why the Bill of Rights is there to tie their hands. But this, in the Wall Street Journal this week, it said over and over again how we were that we need to figure out a way to prevent crime before it happens. And, and, that, and the, the tool for that would be criminal profiling. So gathering everything they can about everyone and deciding the way Joe Manchin said, the Senator said in a previous show, he did, I played the clip due process is killing us right now. That's a quote. Due process is the problem. We need to, he said, go look up the clip. It's, or I'll put it in the show notes. He said that you should be able to put somebody on a watch list for five years. And if their behavior is up to snuff, they can have their rights back. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. Uh, 
But the other thing is actually a little larger. That So that's just the pre-crime thing, being able to, to attack people before. But now they've caught this guy. And it said over and over again in the paper, it started with uh, in a debate about terror. On Tuesday, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham said that Mr. Rahami should be treated as an enemy combatant. That would mean that before a lawyer tells him to clam up forever, intelligence officials could interrogate him. So before he's proven guilty, and by the way, they put out like an Amber Alert on him, and he was, the first reports were uh, citizens, like 2 million citizens got it, got the alert. They, somebody identified him, and he was shot on sight. That was the original report I heard, which wasn't exact. Then they said, oh, he started shooting first, whatever. But I mean, that's like straight out of dystopian science fiction. But they're saying he should be interrogated. So that's a total violation of the Fifth Amendment. You have a right not to say anything that uh, you have a right to an attorney, all that. Uh, so this guy loves that. That's the debate about terror. But then also in the other one, the, the other article I read on the same in the same paper, the Rahami problem. The next president should reverse Mr. Obama's policy and allow terrorists captured on U.S. soil to be declared enemy combatants who can be interrogated at length to prevent future attacks. Mr. Rahami has already been read as Miranda's rights and lawyered up, even though we're told he isn't cooperating. Uh, we don't know whether he had help or where he learned to build those bombs. So because that guy has rights, we could all be in danger. They want to be able to say certain people do not have rights. Just calling them enemy combatants doesn't make sense. The Congress has not declared a war. So if you don't have the reason you have enemy combatants, soldiers, stuff like that is because a government and all its people and its soldiers are acting against you and you have a right to defend yourself and you can't just engage in a criminal prosecution because that government is against you, is not cooperating with you. So you declare war on the government and then anything goes. And even the civilians, although you're not supposed to bomb them, if there is collateral damage, they are in some way considered culpable because they should be in control of their own government. That's how I read it. But they're saying they would actually declare, and this is how what we say about Syria. Why do we have the right to invade Syria? Well, they can't keep their criminals in jail. <laughs> which isn't even true. Then on the other hand, we say, well, they have horrible civil rights abuses, so we need to liberate those people. Like, wh which way do you want it? So so to this is a very slippery slope. I did not care about Gitmo. I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I never thought about it. It didn't bother me. I, I don't like the idea that we're supposed that uh, they said, well, they're foreign, so they don't have rights because the way I see it, I have rights. Just because George Mason, thank God he did it, wrote down the Bill of Rights to specifically constrain government in certain ways, my rights are inherent in human nature or they're given from God, but they're not given from the government because if they're given from the American government, the American government can take it away. So to say that foreigners have no rights, you got to watch that. But I, I wasn't going to quibble about that. Gitmo is full of foreigners. They didn't have rights. I don't know. But then Al Awlaki, an American and FBI operative, by the way, was droned without due process. And so as a 17-year-old son, people are like, well, he was a terrorist on foreign soil, whatever, even though he was American. Now, this guy is a foreign-born immigrant, but he is an American citizen, but they're like, okay, he's a terrorist, he doesn't count. Then the next thing is going to be an American-born, but he's a terrorist, doesn't count. then you're going to have the American deplorable. 
the American sovereign citizen, the American whatever, is going to be your next guy who's an enemy combatant, the Bundy Ranch. The enemy combatant is the enemy of the state. Those guys would be called domestic terrorists, enemies of the state, no rights. Now, the Bundy Ranch thing seemed a little funny to me, but the message is clear. This is the, they're, the slope is slippery. They're, don't let them classify people as enemy combatants or in any way. I mean, for now, I'll just say watch out for it because the pre-crime and the totally taking away rights of people, those things go hand in hand. And that's what this story was really all about. One more thing and then we got to go. I see this recurring theme of freedom equals security. Freedom equals security. The left doesn't realize that uh, security is not the opposite of liberty. It's the precondition for liberty. Uh, All conservatives really want is freedom and security. And it's just, it's that double speak thing. Your chains will set you free that I just feel like it's going to be a continued theme about surveillance and the police state. You want to be free to go to the store, to walk down this narrow road from your house to the mall without encountering riots? Well, then we need to line the street with riot cops. And that's the, the liberty. That's freedom. <laughs> that's the image of freedom. And yeah. uh, that's all I got. That's all I got. All right. This is the Propaganda Report, and I am Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. See you all later. Bye. See?